So today is the first Sunday of Advent, and we're beginning a new series titled 3D Jesus, three-dimensional Jesus. During the season of Advent, we turn our attention to the first coming of Jesus while anticipating his final coming. That's what Advent means. Advent means coming or arrival. So during the Christmas season, we look back at the first coming of Jesus. We look at his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. While we anticipate and expect his final coming. And at his final Advent, Jesus will make all things new. Jesus will make all sad things come untrue. But how does Jesus, the eternal, invisible, immortal, immutable, impassable God, how in the world does he become a human being? How is that even possible? How does he enter this messy, broken, damaged world without becoming sinful like it? How does Jesus not catch the virus of sin from us? How does he become a real human being and not be sinful? Because all we know experientially is that human beings are what? Sinful. So how does Jesus become a very real human being and not sin? And how does the eternal God take on a very limited human body, limited human flesh? How does the God who has no beginning have an actual beginning in time as a baby? That's what we'll be looking at in our Advent series. How Jesus becomes the God-man in three dimension in technicolor. And we'll see just how important it really is Because there are big time implications about who Jesus is now and how he ministers to us now in real time. And all of that depends on whether he was truly human. It matters right now on the first Sunday of Advent in 2022. It matters that Jesus was a human being. Everything that Jesus did and experienced as a man has major implications about how he ministers to us right now in real time in November. And that leads us to our big idea today. If Jesus is not the same as you, then Jesus cannot save you. If Jesus is not the same as you, then Jesus cannot save you. If Jesus did not become a human being, then we could never be saved. If he did not take on every aspect of humanity, sin being the only exception, then God could not redeem this world because that's exactly how God redeems this broken world. He redeems this world by becoming just like us, sin being the only exception. Jesus came as the second Adam to do what Adam did not do in the Garden of Eden. Jesus came to live a perfect life and to fulfill the law on our behalf and then to die in our place for our sins. And so all that Jesus did for us, all that he did for our salvation, he did as a man with facial hair and toenails 
and kneecaps and elbows and intestines and armpits. Now, you may have never thought about this before, but it matters that Jesus had armpits. It matters that he had elbows. It matters that he had a pinky finger on each of his hands. So you being saved and you being forgiven of your sins is very much dependent on whether or not Jesus had elbows. You think about that today. And while you're thinking about the importance of Jesus' elbows, maybe you've thought about that before, maybe you haven't. While you're thinking about that, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 1. We're going to use uh, the verse we're looking at today as a launching pad to look at the incarnation of Jesus. So John chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down to verse 14. John 1, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, what's interesting is that John's gospel tends to get shelved during Christmas time, right? Not many people come here for Christmas verses or uh, devotionals or sermons. Matthew gives us wise men and a foolish king. Luke gives us these singing angels and these dirty shepherds. But John just goes back to the very beginning and speaks of God and his word who is at his side. John's gospel seems like it's a long way from Bethlehem. It seems like it's a long way from joy to the world, yet nothing could be further from the truth. Perhaps the prologue of John's gospel is the incarnation passage par excellence. Because at the beginning of his gospel, John speaks of God in eternity past. But what was God doing? In eternity past. Have you ever thought about that? What was God doing even before he created angels? Because angels are created beings. They are not eternal. They have not always been around. So what in the world was God doing in eternity past before he even created angels? Answer, he was loving and glorifying. He was sharing and praising. The Trinity was celebrating in the perfection of divine fellowship. Like the Father, the Spirit, and the Son were kind of caught up in this inner Trinitarian joyful dance. And we catch a glimpse of that reality right at the very beginning of John's Gospel. And so Christmas, according to the Apostle John, reminds us That the God that we serve is a communicating God. He is a life-giving God. He is a shining-out kind of God. He's a giver at his core. He is a giver. He's not a taker. He's not this self-absorbed black hole that sucks glory from all that exists. If anything, the arrows go in the other direction, don't they? God communicates to us In his son Jesus, he gives life to us. He shows light to us. He extends grace to us. As John says, he is full of grace and truth. Jesus is stuffed with grace. He's stuffed with God's favor to sinners who don't deserve it and cannot earn it. And this is the quintessential message of Christmas. It's a message that has its roots in eternity past. Christmas has its roots in eternity past because that's when God 
decided to send Jesus, the eternal word, into the world to save sinners like you and me. But then John goes on to tell us in verse 14 that the eternal word, Jesus, actually became flesh and lived life among us. But what was that like? I mean, we all have ideas of what that was like. We have ideas of what Jesus was like, maybe an image in our head of what he was like. We've all seen have these pictures in our mind, what he was like as the God-man. But what was it really like? Well, during Advent, I want us to look at a few pictures of Jesus that we see in the photo album of the Bible. And over the next few weeks, I hope to show you pictures of Jesus that might cause your jaw to drop open and humble you, and make you love him even more, and fall down in adoring wonder and awe. I mean, don't you want more of Jesus this Advent? Don't you want to love him more? Christmas reminds us that Jesus was just like us. The only exception is that he was without sin. He was a human being just like you and me. He had hair He had nose hair. He had armpits that would stink. He had a spleen. He had toenails. He would sleep and wake up with crust in his eyes and drool on his beard. He would wake up and his breath would stink just like yours does when you wake up in the morning. Now, don't think that because Jesus was God that he was exempt from having bad breath in the morning. Don't think that because Jesus was God that he must have woken up and his breath smelled like peppermints or pumpkin spice. When Jesus woke up in the morning, he had bad breath. Why? Because he was a human being just like you and me, sin only accepted. And when John 1.14 says that Jesus is the Word made flesh, he is saying that in the incarnation, God's eternal nature was united with a very limited human nature. So when we think about and talk about the incarnation of the Son of God, when we say that the Word became flesh, we are saying that the eternal, immutable, unchanging, impassable Son of God actually became a human being. We are saying that Jesus who had no beginning and will have no end, also had a beginning in time and space in his humanity. In his divinity as God, Jesus had no beginning. As God, Jesus has always existed. As God, Jesus had no beginning at all. But in his humanity... He was born into this world in space, in time, on a specific day on the calendar at an exact time on the clock. But how did it happen? How was God's eternal nature united to a very limited human nature? The Bible tells us that Jesus was brought into being in this physical world through the power of the Holy Spirit as his divine nature, eternal divine nature, was miraculously joined together with a created human nature inside the womb of his mother. Luke tells us about it in his gospel. The angel comes to Mary, a teenager. She's probably scrolling on TikTok and puts her phone down for a minute and there's this angel standing there. And says, you're pregnant. She's like, what? Let me read it to you. Luke chapter 1 verses 34 to 35. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? 
And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So it's the power of God that causes this virgin teenager to become pregnant. And so at a specific point in time, the God-man, or should we say the God-baby, was united in Mary's womb. I mean, think about that. At a specific nanosecond in time, the Holy Spirit moved within Mary's womb and the eternal, timeless, limitless, immutable, unchangeable, unchanging, impassable Son of God was united to human flesh, albeit a tiny little mass of human flesh. It's amazing. Now, how in the world was this possible? How could the eternal Son of God, who had no beginning, have a beginning as a human being? How could these two natures, God and man, God and baby, coexist in one person inside a pregnant teenager? Because that is what we are saying. We are saying that all that is in God was joined together with all that is in man, all that is in baby, inside Mary. That means that everything that we saw about God earlier this year in our series on the undomesticated attributes of God, all of God was there in Mary's tummy. All that is in God. His incomprehensibility, his infinitude, his aseity, his simplicity, his immutability, his impassibility, his eternality, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnisapience. That means he's all wise. All of that that is in God was joined together with a little embryonic blastocyst inside a teenage girl's belly. The God baby. How? How? I'm asking you how. I want to know. I came here expecting you guys to give me some answers. Paul Smalley said it perfectly when he described what it is like for us to consider deep theological concepts like this, like the incarnation, and for us to have conversations about God. He said, when we talk about God, it's like this. He said, we're like children who are having a discussion about nuclear physics. When we are discussing the incarnation of Jesus... We're like little kids having discussion, discussions about things that are far beyond us. We're like a bunch of second graders talking about nuclear physics. Like we really know what we're talking about. We talk about it and we believe it by faith. Even though it's a mystery, even though we don't understand it completely, we accept it by faith because this is what God's word says. There's mystery, and as a Christian, you have to be comfortable with mystery or you will be a miserable Christian. And when you think about the incarnation of Jesus, you have to be comfortable with mystery. You cannot be like the old, you remember the old National Enquirer commercials? In, inquiring minds want to know. We want to know, don't we? We accept it by faith. We dig in. We, we read. We stretch our minds. We try our best. But at the end of the day, it is a mystery that we accept by faith because God's word says so. So understand this. Christmas is the good news that Jesus is a human being just like you in every way, sin being the only exception. And that's really good news, by the way. As the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 2, Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that, 
he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It's good news that Jesus was made like us in every way the preacher of Hebrews is saying, so that, there's the purpose clause, so that he could be a merciful high priest and so that he could make propitiation for our sins and so that he could help us when we are tempted. Jesus could not do all of that apart from having earlobes. Jesus had to have earlobes in order to be a merciful high priest and make atonement for our sins. He had to be fully human. He had to be tempted in every way that we are. Again, as the preacher of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now we're going to return to talk about these things, Jesus being our high priest over the next month into the beginning of the year. But the author of Hebrews is giving us a Christmas sermon here and telling us that Jesus had to be just like us in every way. The only exception is that he didn't sin. He was without sin. If we are to be saved, then Jesus had to be just like us. If we want a merciful high priest to stand for us in the presence of a holy God, then Jesus must be a human being who fully obeyed the law of God on our behalf. If we want forgiveness of sins, then Jesus must be a human being made up of body and spirit, who as a human being took the curse of the law upon himself for us on the cross. If we want access to God, then we need Jesus, the God-man. And so he was made just like us, except that he was not born with a sin nature like all of us are. He never sinned. I mean, Jesus never sinned once he would go through roundabouts and not sin did you know that it's possible perhaps only one human being has ever done it and that's jesus he never sinned otherwise jesus was exactly like us he's exactly like the person sitting next to you he had hair he had nose hair he had armpit hair his armpits would stink he burped he laughed He needed naps, he threw up, he stubbed his toes, he cried, he suffered. When he woke up in the morning, his breath would stink. When he woke up in the morning, he needed coffee. He was just like us. Everything that we experience as human beings, he experienced too. That means Jesus probably stepped on a Lego piece with bare feet at some point in his life. All of you parents have done that, right? Nothing worse than stepping on a Lego, is there? Jesus probably stepped on a Lego or some other little something. Everything that we experience as human beings, he experienced. He was just like us. The difference is that he was without sin. Advent, then, is our annual reminder that Jesus was made up of skin and tissue and muscle and bone and kneecaps and shins and big toes and earlobes and teeth and a tongue. It's a reminder that he had to use the restroom. It's a reminder that he got hungry. 
It's a reminder that he wasn't exempt from stubbing his toe or sleeping crooked and waking up and getting a crick in his neck. He was fully human, just like you and me. Now listen to this. Max Lucado says, Jesus may have had pimples. He may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him or vice versa. It could be that his knees were bony. One thing's for sure. He was, while completely divine, completely human. For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He got colds, burped, and had body odor. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired, and his head ached. To think of Jesus in such a light is, well, it seems almost irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something we like to do. It's uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation. Clean the manure from around the manger. Wipe the sweat out of his eyes. Pretend he never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with a hammer. He's easier to stomach that way. There is something about keeping him divine that keeps him distant, packaged, predictable. But don't do it. For heaven's sake, don't. Let him be as human as he intended to be. Let him into the mire and muck of our world. For only if we let him in can he pull us out. Listen, it may feel irreverent to think of Jesus this way. To think that he stubbed his toe, that maybe a girl in his class had a crush on him. But this is exactly what John means when he says the word became flesh. Jesus was just like us. As Gregory of Nanzius, he's uh, uh, one of the Cappadocian fathers in the, from the 4th century, he said in his Epistle 101, he said, For that which he has not taken up, he has not saved. What does he mean when he says, for that which Jesus has not taken up, he is not saved? Gregory of Nazians means that if Jesus did not, if he did not become like us in every way, sin being the only exception, then he could not save us. Gregory of Nazians would tell you, if Jesus is not the same as you, then Jesus cannot save you. If he did not come as a human being and get a runny nose or a toothache or burp or eat certain foods that would upset his stomach, then we can't be saved. If Jesus did not come as a human being with fingers and toenails and ears and a belly button and kneecaps and liver and lungs and ankle and armpits, then he cannot save us from the coming wrath of God. But because he did... Christian, you have a merciful high priest who sits at the right hand of God the Father. He has paid for your sins. He was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. And that means you can run to him and he will help you fight sin. You can confidently draw near to the throne of grace now and find mercy and grace because John told us Jesus is stuffed with grace. He's full of grace. And the whole reason that you can do that is because Jesus was just like you, sin being the only exception. So if Jesus was not fully human, then you have no hope. And if Jesus does not have a femur bone, 
then you can't be forgiven. And if Jesus does not have a rotator cuff, then you can't be redeemed. And if Jesus does not have saliva in his mouth, then you can't be saved. And if Jesus does not have an abdomen, then you cannot be adopted. And if Jesus does not have ribs, then you cannot be resurrected. But the good news is that Jesus had all of those things. He was and he is just like us. He's just like us right now, only in a glorified body. And that means that he experienced every kind of emotion that we have. He was sad. He was lonely at times. He wasn't always chipper. His heart got broken, just like yours. He was let down by people. He experienced sadness and sorrow. He cried. He hurt. And that's why he's a faithful and merciful high priest. Because he's been where you are and experienced what you are going through. Not exactly. Like if you've been defrauded by your second cousin on your mom's side, it doesn't mean that he was defrauded financially by his second cousin on his mom's side. But he has experienced all of those pains that we experience. He experienced in his heart all that we experience with the sufferings that we endure in this life. And because he was human, that means that he feels like you. He has suffered like you. He knows what it is to have a broken heart. He knows what it feels like to have his heart ripped out of his chest because he was and is a human being. So let me ask you today, are you suffering today? Is life hard? Is there relational strain? Physical pain, physical suffering. Are you overwhelmed with life? I mean, like already, first Sunday of Advent, most people like getting closer to Christmas is like, oh, there's too much to do. Are you already there? Like you haven't even started and you're like, I'm already overwhelmed. I'm going to be a basket case come mid-December. Have you been betrayed by someone you love? Have you been abandoned? The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has been there too because he's a human being. Sometimes he wanted to cry. And he did cry because he was human. And he experienced heartache, betrayal, abandonment, rejection. His best friends walked away from him when he needed him most. One of his best friends betrayed him on the night before his crucifixion. Think about that. He's got, we know, we know he's suffering as a human being because in the Garden of Eden, he's, he's in his humanity, he's asking God the Father, is there any other way to do our plan of salvation without me having to go to the cross? We, we know that he's sweating great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know he's feeling all of that in his humanity. Prior to that moment, Judas, who he spent three years with, one of his best friends, Decides to betray him. So he's got knowing one of his best friends is going to betray him. Going into the garden. Trying to process in his humanity that he's going to go to the cross. Suffer physically. Bear the penalty for our sins. He's got that going on. His friends desert him in the garden. He sees Peter. Three times Peter. Actually in the Greek it's like he cusses. He swears up and down. He drops F-bombs. I don't know that guy. He's got all of this going on in his humanity that he is processing. He knows what it feels like to have people walk away. He knows what it feels like to be betrayed, to be abandoned, to have best friends turn their back on him. He had a real human soul, a real human spirit, a real human mind, a real human heart that got walked on. So he knows what it's like to be a human being and to go through a very dark night of the soul. He is acquainted with darkness. 
He's called the man of sorrows for a reason. And because he has been to those dark places, he can offer you light in your darkness. The reason I want to remind you of the humanity of Jesus is because you will need it when you are in that dark place. When your soul is vexed, when your heart is broken, when you feel like giving up on life, maybe even taking your life. So don't doubt in the dark what God has taught you in the light. Now you may say, I know, I know Jesus was a human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that is exactly what you need for Christmas. It's what you need to know when you are suffering. You need to know that Jesus is human and that you have a faithful and merciful high priest who knows exactly how you're feeling because he has been there himself. He has been to the dark places. And he will help you. So please understand that Jesus is not unaware of your pain. Whatever it is that you're going through right now, Jesus is fully aware. He has experienced that. He has entered your pain, entered your sorrow, and that is what makes him a faithful and merciful high priest. Dane Ortland says, In our pain, Jesus is pained. In our suffering, he feels the suffering as his own, even though it isn't. Not that his invincible divinity is threatened, but in the sense that his heart is feelingly drawn into our distress. His human nature engages our troubles comprehensively. His is a love that cannot be held back when he sees his people in pain. Contrary to what we expect to be the case, therefore, the deeper into weakness and suffering and testing we go, the deeper Christ's solidarity with us. As we go down into pain and anguish, we are descending ever deeper into Christ's very heart, not away from it. Look to Christ. He deals gently with you. It's the only way he knows how to be. It's the only way he knows how to be because he's a human being just like you. He still is a human being just like you, just with a glorified body. He knows what it's like. The only way he knows how to be towards other human beings is gentle and kind and loving and merciful because he's walked that path and it's like, I've been there and I can give you all the grace you need. We have a gentle savior because he was a human. We have a gentle savior because he had elbows. So remember, if Jesus is not the same as you, then Jesus cannot save you. But the good news of Christmas is that he is the same as you and he can save you. The question for you this morning, if you're not a Christian, is will you trust in him? Will you believe that Jesus, though he was without sin, became sin on the cross so that you might be saved? Will you take that step today and place your faith in him, the three-dimensional, gentle Savior of sinners? Will you come to Jesus today if you haven't? You can, just right where you're at. Just say, Jesus, forgive me. I believe. Help, save me. And he will. And you will be forgiven, and he will forgive you of all of your sins. And trust me, he knows everything you've done. And he is willing to forgive it all and to give you his righteousness so that you can stand in God's presence, unashamed, full of joy. 
Will you believe today if you haven't? And if you're here today and you're already a Christian, let me remind you about what John said. Jesus is full of grace and truth. He's full of truth, and we see the truth that he's full of here in his word. Listen, Advent is a great time to dig back into the Bible and say, Jesus, show me who you are. Let me love you more. Let me read your word more and get it in my heart. He's full of truth, and we find that truth in God's word, but he's also full of grace. He's full of favor unmerited favor. Listen, you cannot earn Jesus' favor. You cannot earn his love in any way, Christian. You have it. It's free. It's a gift. You should be able to walk out of here today light on your feet, knowing that he can't remember your sins, that it doesn't matter if you feel it or not. This is objective reality. This is not subjective. Now, I hope you feel it subjectively, but the objective reality, Christian, is that you are absolutely 100% forgiven. God's not mad at you. He can't remember your sins. You might want to shout hallelujah. You might speak in tongues. I don't know. It's such good news. Believe it today. Will you believe it? Will you come to Jesus today? Come with all your sin. Come with all your baggage He will receive you. He will welcome you because he is a gentle, caring, and kind Savior. Will you come? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Jesus' first advent took him from your side, from heaven, down into that dirty cradle, but then going all the way to the cross. He is our good shepherd, but he was first the Lamb of God, bearing our sins, our rebellion, our guilt, our shame. So, Father, we ask in the coming weeks that you would make the gospel palpably real to us again, that it would be precious to us again. And though we've heard it a million times, Lord, we would feel it again in our bones. What we need more than anything in the world is a Savior, and you have given that to us in Jesus. Convince us during Advent. Comfort us during Advent with this timely and certain hope. I pray, Father, that you would put us face down in adoring love, that we would experience deep peace knowing that Jesus was just like us. Humble us during Advent. Center us. Center our thoughts on you. Gladden our restless hearts. So very amen, we pray with great anticipation in Jesus' matchless and merciful name.